This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Oh, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime uh, listeners and uh, viewers. So today we're going to be discussing Hashem, the second class on Dibukim, exorcism. So before we actually get started, I have a bit of a long introduction that I need to discuss. So I usually get responses after my classes, depending on the class. Uh, this particular one, the last week that I, that we had the class on the, on the Bukim, this one I got a significant amount of, of responses. And it was, it was some, you know, some of, on both sides, which I'm used to, I'm fine, you know, give or take, I'm, I'm all up for it, give me the bad, give me the good, I'm all, I'm all in for, for both, uh, um, both sides of the coin. And, but surprisingly, I got a tremendous, tremendous amount of, why are you giving this class? This class should not be taught. Nobody needs to know about these things. You're scaring people. Why are you doing this? Who told you this? One of the best ones. Ask any normal rabbi. He'll tell you you shouldn't give these classes. Um, so I, so, so there, I do want to give an introduction of why I do this. What, what is the point of this? Um, the point is, is not really to scare people. That's not really, if it makes you, helps you do tshuva, then yes, that is the point. Uh, so if that's the only way you're going to get through fear, then fine. And I told this guy that, uh, that, uh, messaged me, one of the guys, you know, I was like, um, just, you know, I said, uh, you know, helps people do tshuva. Just teach them how to do tshuva. I mean, so, you know, I've been doing this for, for quite a few years, Baruch Hashem, and I want to say it doesn't always help. What's with the fear? Why do people have to fear? I'm like, I don't understand. It doesn't say that at all. You have to fear God? But we're, we're, we, we, where are you learning your Torah from? Like, what, you're supposed to fear God. How are you supposed to fear God? So you read the Torah, you look at it. Granted, this is a little bit more on the Kabbalistic level, uh, but at the same point in time, I don't give over all the information that I have on this. Not that I'm saying that I have a lot. I have a, I scratch the surface of, of whatever this, uh, this is. But whatever I have, I don't give over everything that I think is not appropriate, that doesn't, that's not gonna benefit anybody for any mean way. Or form. So, um, there, but there is a reason why I do it. So before that though, I started thinking, like, okay, maybe, I shouldn't be giving this class. Like, that's, like, I've never gotten so many responses. Usually I'm like, okay, fine, people like to talk, but now I'm getting so much. I was like, hey, maybe I'm doing something wrong. So let me look. I couldn't find, and maybe I'm wrong, I couldn't find any other rabbi, at least in English. I found one or two in Hebrew that speak about this topic. I'm like, why doesn't anybody speak about this topic? Uh, there's some rabbis that need topics to speak about. I'm like, this is a pretty good topic to speak about. I think it helps people do tshuva. One of my last class, that I gave this topic on for the men, uh, we had one guy that decided he's going to stop watching TV and movies after this class. So, I mean, that's, you know, that sounds good. So, the, um, so, so then I started thinking, maybe I shouldn't ask, maybe I shouldn't, uh, you know, speak about this topic. So, I went and I asked a few rabbis. I said, should I give this topic or should I not? What do you think they said? Yes. Well, obviously, I'm giving the class now. So, yeah. <laughs> so, they said that, that I, that I should, I should give it. My source for this, again, I'm not pulling up stuff from a random source stuff that I, you know, I found online. There's a good story about a possession, um, that Father Jason decided to do this, and this is a great story, and that's what we're wasting time with. No, I'm bringing stories, and I'm bringing my, again, like I said last time, 90% of the information comes from Minchat Yudah. I've read a few books on, on, on possessions and things like that, but I'm not bringing most of those stuff down. I'm bringing stuff specifically on, in the, in the Holy Spelling. So now, why is it that I give these type of classes? Because I do, I do give, I do delve into that more than, than other people. I speak about demons, I speak about reincarnation, dreams, like things that are more, uh, you know, possessions. So what is the purpose of that? Um, so, there's a few reasons why I do it. Number um, number one is that I want to try to 
show people that there is a life after death. There is something that goes on after you die. Now, hypothetically speaking, you're religious from birth. You know everything about the Torah. You're like, of course God exists. Of course that. But it's all very like, yeah, it's there. You know, like, I don't know anything about it, but I just know that it exists. It makes something more real when you hear stories about it. When you hear more details about it, you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is really real. This is not just real it's it's it puts a whole different twist on it think of it when you're when you're studying math and you need to do a certain example now if you just have the word that the 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 explanation on how to do the problem it's not so easy until you actually see an example of it and then it actually hits it on be like okay now i know how to do it so when you're more when you have more hands on you it actually makes it more real and that is one of the reasons there is a life after death now what is the main purpose that i'm bringing that for what do you need to know so much about that that there is consequences to if you do something wrong and if you do something wrong you have to do chuba otherwise you could end up well hopefully not but like one of these uh one of these cases so and and you know speaking about like just telling people do chuba doesn't really help so much. I've had people that have come to me and they told me they've done one of the worst sins possible. And this has happened more than once. And, and they said, what should I do? So I said, you know, you have to do tshuva and go through the regular tshuva process. You have to regret it. You have to confess it. You have to make sure you don't do it again. You have to increase your observance, learn, learn a lot more to what. And I've noticed that it doesn't really help that much. They don't, they don't really, they don't really do, they're like, okay, fine, I, you know, and, and, but I don't really see much of a change in them. Again, yeah, I may be wrong, maybe they're, maybe they're, you know, one of the 36 hidden Sadiqim that came in there, and they forget to bring the keep out sometimes, whatever it is, but I'm not, who am I to judge? But I don't feel like it really hits home. So, what, and by the way, I, you guys would, would know me already, so you know, like, if somebody comes to me and tells me they did a sin, I'm not, I'm not the type of guy to be like, you know, doesn't matter, you know, you're such a good person, you know, God loves you anyways, you know, like, don't feel bad about this, come on, no, smile, smile, every day is a smile, which you should be smiling, but I'm not one of those, like, lovey-dovey, yeah, yes, everything is great, if someone comes and tell me they did a terrible sin, that they committed adultery, I am not gonna be there, I'll be like, I'll be like, don't worry about it, don't worry, you gave me such a large donation, not that I take any money anyways, but I'm like, you gave me so much money, <laughs> when you get out there, don't worry about it. I'll save you a spot next to me. He's like, don't worry about it. I got you. This is Vinny, the guy, you know, he's like, he has a connection to the mob boss. He's like, don't worry about it. I'll get you inside. Any rabbi that tells you, you give him money and he's going to say, don't worry about it in the next world, he's going to save you a spot next to him. But it's not going to be upstairs. It's going to be somewhere else. So the... Um, the, so the idea behind it is, is that when I started telling people, you know, you did a very bad sin and you think it's bad, you don't even know the half of it. Do you know if you do this and this sin, you're going to, to Gehenom and you're not leaving there. You're going to stay in this. And I start describing them until they get pretty much uncomfortable. And then I tell them all the chuba process. So then I'm like, okay, that's, that, that makes a little difference. Think about it this way. There is a guy who is a smoker and you go and you tell him, you know, smoking is bad for you. I'd be like, yeah, I read labels on boxes. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And then you take him to a, I don't know, a cancer ward or something. And you, you, you show him how people are smoking through their, you know, through their throats. Or you show them, you know, uh, lungs that are black, that they can't even walk a few steps without coughing hysterically. That's going to make a lot, a much bigger difference on that person than just telling it. So, and I actually felt that this was a little bit, uh, you know, different. So, there is, you know, I, I did find more success in this method than the other methods as well. You're supposed to tell people, yes, yeah, sometimes it's good to scare people. Granted, you have to have it both. And scare people, you're not on, I, I never, I would never ever make things up to make something more worse than it is. Only why I would say it was exactly how it is. Not more and not less. The, 
um, you know, the idea behind it is, is, uh, is think of it as a scenario. Imagine uh, you're going skydiving. But it's not like skydiving, yay, like an American skydiving where you have a whole crew that comes up and be like, you watch a safety video, right? And then you have another guy like slapped on your back that's, you know, duct tape onto you, you know, like, the, the, you know, and they have like 14 parachutes in case one doesn't open, they have another one in this one. I'm talking about something that you don't want to go skydiving, but you're on a plane and whatever, it's going down, you got to jump, and there's a guy over there, he throws you on this knapsack. He's like, here, put it on. And on this knapsack, there's like, 400 different ropes that you have to pull. It's an old parachute. I've never been skydiving. I don't know. But bear with me. There's a bunch of strings that you have to pull as you jump out. And then the guy's screaming to you. He says, listen to me and listen to me very, very carefully. You have to do it exactly this way. You have to pull first the red one, and then the blue one, and then the green one. And if you do it any other ma- manner, you are going to die a very terrible death. You will flat up fall on your face. You will, you will splatter into different pieces. And, you, and, and he keeps on describing in, in, in explicit detail what would happen to him. Some of the guys sitting next to him, they're like, Dude, I don't understand. This guy's already nervous. Look at him. He's wet pants already. All right. Why you got to make him more nervous? Why you got to, why you got to scare him? Just tell him which one he has to do. He says, no, if I don't tell him exactly the way that he's supposed to do and I don't scare him, then he might not remember which one it is. He might think, okay, whatever. I'll just pull all the cords and hopefully something will happen. But if you tell somebody the, the consequences of what happens if you don't pull the right cords, then he's going to be very, very serious and he's going to listen very attentively to make sure that he's, he pulls the right cord. This is the same idea in spirituality. If you come and if you have somebody that comes over to you and wants to know what to do in, in, uh, you know, in the spiritual realm, you don't have the ability, you don't have the flexibility to go and be like, listen, you know, maybe you should do this, maybe you should do this. You have to tell them exactly the way that it is. Granted, it has to be done the right way. You can't, somebody comes over to you and be like, hey, listen, uh, you know, I just did a certain sin right now. You're going to get numb. You're never going to leave. You're, you're just a lost case. You might as well as just finish everything. You know, the, obviously that's not the right way to do with things. You have to do it the right way, but it ha- the truth has to be said and it has to, be, and if it, and it scares them, then it makes them do chuva. And again, granted, you have people that have mental issues and anxiety issues and depression issues. All that has to be factored in. I'm not saying this is a blanket thing, but this is where I'm coming from. I'm speaking to the general public, and I find this uh, a, a very good way of waking people up. And sometimes in a physical sense, they can't fall asleep at night. Okay, you know, that's not my intent. But at the other, at the other time, at least you are, um, you know, at least you're up, up spiritually, that is. So, the... Okay. The last thing that I do want to mention is that the intent that I bring this class, and then we're going to start. The intent that I'm bringing this class is not so that you should think everyone's possessed. You know, like, oh yeah, this person, either bipolar possession for sure. You know, or like, oh yeah, my spouse, yeah, for sure something's going on, you know. Goes crazy. You know, I, that's not, that's not my intent. My intent is not to think that everyone's possessed. My intent is actually, the real focus is to see about what happens when you do certain sins, where you end up in. And, this granted, so this is a very, very, uh, like, like extreme case of what happens, of extreme sinning. But don't think, but, but, you know, just minus that for, for different sins. And everybody has to be, you know, gets punished. Everybody has, has to pay, has accountability that they have to, um, pay for it. Okay, so let's begin with this, with, uh, with tonight's, uh, uh story. It's gonna be just one long one. Again, we're gonna be speaking about, we're gonna be learning through this topic through, through stories. The details here is extremely, extremely important. This story is also brought down in the Minchat Yehuda. There, this, and again, like the Minchat Yehuda, he brings down not only the, um, the name and the mother's name, he brings down the date also. This is, you know, just makes it show that it's not something just, you know, out of the blue. So the year was 1913. It was a Jewish year, 5673. 
And a 17-year-old girl by the name of Katun, the daughter of Aziza, came to see him. And this is what, this is how she describes it. So she's a 17-year-old girl who is possessed. But she goes and she explains her story. She says that uh, she's orphaned from her father. And her mother had to go visit her, um, this 17-year-old girl's brother who lived in Persia. They, this was not in Persia. They, and, and she had to travel to Persia. So this girl, the 17-year-old girl, was, along with her younger brother and her younger sister, had to stay by their aunt while the mother went to Persia to deal with her uh, brother. The problem was, is that her aunt was a very, very angry, irritable person. That every little thing that you did, she would blow up and scream and curse and that. Like a, a very, very mean, like, uh, like person that, it, you know, like those people that it's just like, you know, you, you tiptoe around them and you're like, you feel bad for anybody who lives with them. You know, like one of those, but they were actually living with them. And so this 17-year-old girl would rebuke her. Be like, why are you speaking like this? You know, you know, kids around, this is not how you're supposed to speak. And all that did was that angered her even more. And it went up, it went up to, 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 to such a high level that the kids were so scared of her that they had to tiptoe around. They wouldn't, they wouldn't complain. They wouldn't do that. It was literally like they were, they were in prison. And, uh, so one day, uh, she was, uh, this, the 17-year-old girl, she was sitting in her bed and she was, she was crying. It was a Saturday night. She was laying down in her bed face down and she was crying, 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 you know, because of her ill fortune, where she has to be now and how she has to tiptoe and she feels so bad about her, about her siblings and this and all the, 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 the abuse that she's going through. And suddenly as she's, as she's laying over there, she feels that there's a huge cat, this like cat-like figure jumps on her back. And the first thing which she wanted to do was scream, but she knew that if she screamed, then her aunt is going to come in and whatever is going to happen. The problem was is that they don't own a cat. So like, what's this on her back? And you know, sometimes, you know, this is a, a, the worst self-defense possible. You're sitting at home and you're about to fall asleep. Let's say you're sleeping, you're living, you know, you're sleeping by yourself. Your house is completely empty. And then you hear something, right? So some people will be like, well, let's check that out. You know, here's my flashlight. Here's my knife. You know, here's my phone. Let's go check it out. Other people will be like, it's going to go to sleep and pretend it didn't happen. You know, like, that's just not... So, you know, that it depends on your, on your method of coping. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, it's like, you know, there's some people that they go... I, know, I speak to a lot of people. They get a lot of interesting, uh, you know, ideas on what people, goes on people's mind. They go into the home and they think someone's there. So they go through all the hiding places, right? They go to the bathroom. They check behind the curtains. Uh, you know, they'll check under the beds, make sure that no one's there. They do like a scope to check to make sure that, uh, you know, the serial killer that's hiding inside over there is, is not, uh, is not over there. And, um, and some people can't do it until, unless they, they go to sleep. And fine, if that's what makes you, you know, works for you, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's always good to, uh, you know, patrol your house and make sure there's no unwanted uh, visitors. But, this girl, she has this, this cat on her, and she was so scared to do anything, she was so scared to move, that she just stayed completely still. And then the cat started scratching on her back as if she tried, it was, the cat was trying to go inside of her. And the, the, you know, it was like so painful until finally, like, the pain stopped, but she felt as if the cat went into this, this something went into her arm, her left arm, uh, through her shoulder. And it was, the, the arm became so heavy all of a sudden that she couldn't even move it. It was just like, like limp. You couldn't do it. And she goes on, and this is how she's explaining it to the rabbi. Just from that day on, her arm just trembles. It just moves not by itself. Her bones shake by itself. Her, uh, her pupils just move erratically back and forth, like, a, like, a, all by itself. It reminded me, of um, when I was reading, when I was learning about this, I was one time in this group setting and I was sitting next to somebody and I'm very into the, my mentality in it and this is what I teach my children 
if there's someone who's doing something funny, we live in New York, you take a subway, everyone's doing it. So every subway ride, there's someone who's, who's doing something, you know, funny. It could be talking to themselves, it could be, you know, talking to themselves through the mirror, it, it could be, you know, it could be just like, you know, banging their head against the wall. Whatever it is that people are doing, as good New Yorkers, what we are trained to do is ignore it, right? And unless somebody is, is you, know, uh, you know, hurt or injured, then you obviously deal with it. So, I'm sitting in this group setting, and this person is sitting very close to me, and um, I'm doing my thing, they're doing their thing, and all of a sudden, I see this person, you know, out of the corner, I like, look up. Now, what happens, what you do when someone looks up, you look up also. Yeah, I remember, you know, like, doing this, this was a, you know, I once went with my, well, my friends, this is talking about when I was a teenager, went to my friends to, um, uh, to a certain place, and we tried an experiment. It, it really, you shouldn't do this, because you're, you're, you're not, you know, um, wasting people's time. But what we did was, was very simply, just gather all, like, all of us together and just look up. And then just, like, point. And, you know, and then just look up. And nothing. And then you see, like, people gathering around. And the interesting part is we stop, and then we listen to what they're pointing at. And we'll be like, yeah, you see it? There's the bird over there. Is, you know, like, everyone's saying about something else that they're, that they're, you know, that they're doing. So I see this person look up. I'm like, we're in a closed room. We're not outside. What are they looking at? Is there a leak? So I look up, and I don't see anything. Then I look back at this person. And then I see his eyes are going like a thousand times per minute, like back and forth, like from, from left to right, left to right, left to right. Like, like, like it was something that was not like, even if I tried, I couldn't even mimic like a tenth of the speed that they were doing it. So my first response was this. And, um, but, but, and, and I was like, okay, fine, whatever this, this issue was, I didn't do it. But I kept, they kept on doing it. Like every so often, I was trying to mind my own business, but I, every so often they just kept on doing that. And it was like, I'm like, they see demons here. Like, what are they looking at? So I don't think it was. A, I don't think it was a seizure. No. Yeah, I had a kid who used to just. This happened maybe uh, more than fifteen times in twenty minutes. Oh. <laughs> That's not a seizure. Yeah. yeah. This was not. This was not a seizure. So as far as I know, maybe it was. But the point that I'm bringing this story is, it doesn't mean that if you see somebody, there was obviously was some sort of medical condition. Just because you see that someone do that, and I've seen it, doesn't mean like. Oh, the demon is inside of this one. You know, like you know, it doesn't mean that they're possessed. It doesn't mean that they're anything. It is possible to have these criterias, and um, you know, they're not possessed. She goes on and she continues, and she says, when she's lying in her bed, she has the sound of a loud hammer, like pounding against something, and she's which doesn't let her sleep. You ever try to sleep when you know there's a construction happening, like right outside your window? Imagine the construction is happening inside your head, right? So they, she was not able to sleep. It was causing her tremendous suffering, tremendous pain. But she couldn't even tell her aunt. She didn't. She was afraid of the aunt more than she was afraid of what's going on in, inside of her. So she waited until her mother returned from Persia. When her mother returned from Persia, she went and they took them. First thing, they took them to this Muslim uh, heebie-jeebie guy who is, you know, you know, like exorcism specialist. You know, for ninety nine ninety nine, you get to all your demons possessed. You know, and a, a two for one deal if you bring a family member. You know, you get a discount. So, anyways, they go to this. They get this Muslim. Um, this Muslim, you know. Whatever you know, magician. I don't know whatever he, they they call him. There there is a terminology for it, but but I don't, I'm not familiar with it. And he looks into in, into this whole situation, and he diagnoses that she has a very powerful Christian demon inside of her. So he tried to exercise it. He tried to go and remove it, but nothing ha- nothing happening. So they went, and uh, one day they were going, and they went to pray in uh, this this uh, holy uh, holy rabbi's kevel, the grave. And on the way back, they intended to going back to this Muslim guy, see if he could try it, try it, uh, try it again. And as they were going back, they somehow they ended up in front of Rabbi Yehuda Fataya's house, of this rabbi's house. 
So they said to each other, they said, listen, we're here already. Let's see what the rabbi has to say. Why people go to the rabbi last? The rabbi should go first. I don't know. So anyways, so the rabbi is who wrote down the, the story says, you know, he sees this young girl who comes over to him and she's crying about all the pain and the suffering. He felt so bad for her. He had so much compassion. And he decided, he said, you know what? Let's see if you really possess. And he started doing these type of tikkunim, the unifications. And all of a sudden, the, the, there was a voice that was coming out of, inside of her that was not hers that started screaming, started screaming, screaming until, um, so, so this is where, um, the rabbi was able to get some information from this spirit that, that indeed she was possessed. Uh, this spirit told the rabbi that she was unfaithful to her husband when she was married. And then the rabbi went and he asked her a series of questions and we're going to go through the, um, we're going to go through just the answers part. That's how the rabbi also, Rabbi Hudafatai, how he writes a lot of the, of this, of the stories over there is that he says, you know, you, there's no point of writing the questions. You'll get the questions by the answers. So she says and she explains that after her body was buried, Five destroying the destroyers, uh, these these uh, this mazikim, these angels came over to her and they started beating her, beating her, beating her until for three days and three nights. After three days and three nights, they um, gave her a powerful you know blow and like a like a there's a better word for that. I don't want to say not a punch, but like a powerful hit. And she flew basically up to up to the um the, you know to the heavenly court. When she gets to the heavenly court. She is standing over there and she has, she has three judges that she's standing in front of. The one in the middle was the greatest and all, he says all of them, their, their faces were shining like the sun. And the court goes over to her and says, tell us the prohibitions, the isurim, tell us what you did wrong in this world. That's how, by the way, when you get up to the next world, you judge yourself. You say what you did wrong. So she's like, I've done nothing wrong. I'm an angel, you know, princess over here. So what they started doing is they started beating her and beating her and beating her. Until she was forced to tell him. So she said, you know, I spoke dirty words with my neighbor, uh, by a guy by the name of Solomon. Solomon. Um, and they said to her, they said to her uh, and you did nothing else wrong, just uh, speaking words. And she was so scared of the beatings again that she says, no, 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 that he was, you know, he was intimate with me. So then they go, the court asks her, how many years was he with you? So she says, only one year. And then they started beating her again and again and again and again until she said, no, no, okay, fine, fine, fine. It was five years. And then the court goes, and how many times what, did this thing happen in that five years? And she says, you know, I can't really say maybe 50 or 60. And since the court really knew, they knew that she doesn't know the exact amount, they didn't beat her, but they told her it was 100 times, 100 times even, is what you, is, is what you did. And they continue to say that the heavenly court, they took your life away so that your husband is no longer committing a sin by being with you. Because what happens is, is the woman commits adultery, she is no longer allowed to be with her husband. And if she is with her husband, there is a problem with that union. And that's, that's a sin in itself. So they took her earlier so that her husband won't, won't continue sinning. The, and they go in and they say the verdict is, the verdict the court, the heavenly court says that the, you're going to be turned over to these destroyers. Um, and by the name, it's not clowns. They'll be like, come on, we'll have a good time for Andreas, you know? Blow bubbles, we'll see Disneyland. You know, you know, it's not going to be fun in games. Their names are in English. It's destroyers, mazikim, you know these mazikim, and uh, he sa- and they go on and say the you're going uh, to the the punishment is going to be you're going to be handed them over for one hundred years, one year for every time that you did that sin with with uh, with that man, which we see from here that every time that you make a sin, every time you make the sin, even if, even if it's the same sin, you have to get a tikkun on that and the same thing, uh, uh, you know that in itself. That's why there's a lot of people. The way that they, uh, you know, an example like this, they think, you know, that, uh, you know, they have, they, they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they're, you know, they're not Shomer Nagia, they don't, they don't, uh, you know, they, they touch each other. They think, okay, whatever, I'm doing this already, so what's the big deal? 
it doesn't work like way. You don't get a package deal. It's not like okay, you know, you you did this. This was your sin. You get package number three. You know, and this is your thing. Everything is is catered. If you did the same sin twice, you get punished twice for it. If you did it three times, you get it three times. If and then it's very unfortunate because people think, okay, I'm already doing this. What's the big deal if I do this? It's a very big deal because everything that you do again, and people also think I already did it. So what's you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's a very very big deal. You get punished. You get judged for every single sin that you do. So. The, the court continues. It says what you're going to have to do, besides being in their, in their control, you're going to, you're going to be required, you're going to have to chop wood every single night. Now, I do have to mention there's going to be a lot of things here that sound physical, that do sound physical, and we'll be able, Bizarre Hashem also explain that. The, he says you're going to have to chop wood every single night. With the wood that you chop is what you are going to be burned in front of the court for three hours a night. You will also receive lashes. And then during these hundred years, you'll have to go to the, with these destroyers everywhere they go, they, they tell you to go. And, and you, you're not allowed to disobey them. After the hundred years is over, you come back to court and we judge you on the other sins. Which means is, this is not even our hold. This is only for that sin in itself. So, think of it, of how serious every sin is in itself. People think, okay, what's the difference? The, the, it gets me so frustrated because it's not, I mean, people just don't know. It's not their fault. I'm going to Gehenna anyways, I'm going to hell anyways, what's the difference? Uh, you know, like, what? No, it's a very big difference. That's a very, there's, that, that's a, that's very bad. It's like, I'm smoking cigarettes already, might as well smoke crack. No, that's a very, anybody who's normal will be like, that's a very big problem. Ah, uh, uh, we're not talking about chuva. Chuva fixes everything. We're talking about somebody who did not do chuva. Somebody who does chuva and does a real chuva, does a complete chuva, has a completely new person. So, the woman continues. This woman uh, continues. I don't know if I mentioned, her name was Rosa. Her name was Rosa. This, this spirit, his name was Rosa. So, uh, this, this woman continues and says, they, the destroyers, they, they took her away immediately and they led her to a huge desert that's full of snakes, scorpions, and not just your run-of-the-mill snake and scorpions, but like these like huge dogs, like, like supernatural, like spiritual beings. That she says that she was so scared of these things that she, she was shaking with fear, even though they didn't touch her. Just by the mere sight of them was completely shaking with fear. After that, they went, they took her, and they, they gave her 27 lashings in that desert every single day. The third hour of the night, they would take her to another desert, which she goes that no high has ever seen. And she says of herself that I am not able to navigate that place alone. And then that's where they order me to chop wood. I have to get the wood, and then I have to carry it on my beer shoulders and bring it to the court. Where I was, like she goes on, she was again beaten in that court for another hour. And after that, they, she sat down on the pile of wood. They lit the wood on fire. She completely burned to ashes. And then they revived her. And then begin the cycle again. From, from the beginning. So, the, um, and then after that also, he went back to the desert, got additional, uh, you know, lashings. So, this is just for the adultery. So, yeah. This is, yeah. And now, the, the spirit, when it's telling this to the rabbi, begins, begins to cry. And she says, you don't even know. You don't even understand this, just the pain of the splinters. The splinters of the wood. And she goes on, she goes to explain. And, and you know, um, he says the splinters, when they when they touch the flesh, you know how painful that is? And let me try to explain it this way. Have you ever gotten a sunburn? Mm-hmm. Like really bad sunburn? Mm-hmm. Imagine what happens. So you're not sunburned and, and you do this. You give yourself a little, a little oh. flick. It doesn't hurt. No, it's not a problem. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. You're sunburned. Let's say you're, you're pretty serious sunburned. And you just do this. 
it feels like you have, I don't know, like a thousand needles like just went into you. Like it's excruciating in pain. Now let's take it a step further. Let's say it was not just a regular sunburn. It was a sunburn that your skin is beginning to peel off. Not just the first layer, like, you know, a little bit uh, deeper into that. And imagine you get another slap on that, on that, you know how painful that is? Now imagine if it's infected and the pus is going out and it's an open wound. And then you have somebody that gives you a little, you know, there's a little, just a little needle. Just, just prick. You know the pain that, that, that you would have to go uh, through that? In hospitals, in nursing homes, when people just need to get, uh, you know, their dressings changed, uh, you know, like let's say someone has an open wound and they need to get changed their, their dressing, they have to, some, if it's really severe, they have to medicate the patient with pain medication. That's how serious, that's how bad the pain is so that they don't, uh, so they don't get it. So she goes and she says, the needle, that's how, every needle, every splinter, that's how it feels on my flesh. And she goes on, she says her that her shoulders were so swollen, like if you can understand it, that you could fill a full flask of water from the, from the swelling that she had on her, on her shoulders of just carrying those, um, the wood. And then she goes and she tried to experiment once. She tried to experiment because what they would do is she would carry this, the, the, she would collect the wood, she would cut the wood, and then she would carry it to a completely different place and that, to the court, and that's where she would get punished with that wood. So, she experiments by removing one twig. Just like, see what happens. And when she gets to the court, they see immediately, they're like, no, 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 this is not the right amount, go back. She has to go all the way back, get that piece, a little twig, put it back in the pile, and go schlep it all the way back to the, um, to the court. And she said, and they would penalize her if, they, if she would do that. So since then, she said she made sure that every time she had exactly the right amount. Then she goes and she continues. At the end of each year, she revisits the court, and they write in, the, in their ledger, this is how many years passed, and this is how many years you have left. She goes on and she says that she has no rest all week. All week there's no rest. But on Friday, from the beginning of the sixth hour, what they do is to the spirits, they bind them in chain, they tie them up, and the destroyers stand guard until after the Shabbat finishes. The Shabbat passes away. That's nice. And uh, we didn't, we didn't finish. <laughs> oh. The spirits go and they sit together. When I, when I, when I was learning this, it literally sounded like an old prison real. tale. Yeah, specifically we're talking about her adultery right now. So the spirits, are, they sit together and they actually speak about what the evil did, things that they did. You know, when I was alive, you know, back in the good old days when I had a heart, you know, and they would, so they would speak about things that they did and about their punishment that they have to go through. And she goes, speaks about herself, her Rosa, she says she prefers to sit alone. But she says, don't think that Shabbat, this is, this is a time when we can relax. She says just the opposite. She says, this is the time that we recall all the suffering that we went through the entire week, and we can't even, this, we, we continue going through the suffering as well um, uh, through Shabbat. And then she goes on and she says that there are spirits that are young as 14 or 15 years old. Which, you know, you think about it, but like, how is that, why they're so young? How do they, you know, what do they get there? We know that the, the heavenly court does not punish anybody under the age of 20. And uh, so, so she answered, it says that that only pertains to this world. In this world, you don't have the heavenly court doesn't punish before the age of 20. By the next world, you get punished even before that. Then they go, and um, again, there's a lot of questions that the rabbi was asking, and this is what she was responding, but I'm just going based on what she was responding, so it sounds more like a, a storyline. So she goes on and she says, um, she says regarding Kaddish, you know, let's say someone says Kaddish, it should cause you some, um, some you know, reprieve of all the suffering that you're going through in the next world. So she says, yes, it can, but... The problem is, is that nowadays in age, the Kaddish is being recited so fast, it's being mumbled, which renders it completely invalid, or mostly invalid. And besides the fact, and besides all that, you have who's reciting Kaddish? Wicked people, people that are desecrating the Shabbat, which, which, valid, which makes it almost useless, the, the Kaddish. Which reminds me when, um, I don't remember how long this was, maybe a year or so ago, I got a phone call um, one night from a 
a from a person who lost his father. That they buried the, the parent, the father, that day, and they were asking me questions on Kaddish. They were actually questions. They were even asked questions on going to the mikvah. There was different things that they uh, that they had concerns with. So. Um, they said they were going to say, I, I, so I asked them, I, like, I, I don't know who this person was, never met them before, and uh, I, I said, they, so they mentioned that they're going to go to um, say Kaddish. So from the questions that they were asking me, I sort of could figure out that, you know, it wasn't so religious, this, uh, um, you know, this, this group, this, this person. So I, I said, yeah, Kaddish is very much going to help, you have to make sure you say Kaddish, you have to go to, to, to Minyan and say it with, uh, you know, amongst some people by, you know, go, go to pray for the, in, in the prayer times. So he, I, then I asked him, I'm like, do you keep Shabbat? So he goes and he says, I do not. So I said, you know, the Kaddish, although it, you know, it's good, but it's going to do very little help if you don't keep Shabbat. And he's like, listen, you know, it's very difficult, uh, you know, it's very hard. I'm like, so I cut him off. I'm like, listen, I'm like, do you, and I, I, I pulled a card that is a dangerous card to pull, um, and I wouldn't recommend it, uh, but I, I, so I go to him and I'm like, did you love your father? So he's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, don't you want to do something good for him? Yeah, I'm like, you obviously believe in God. You obviously, otherwise, why would you say Kaddish? You obviously in that. He's like, yeah, yeah, of course. I'm like, so why wouldn't you give him, you know, everything that you can? If you keep Shabbat, you know what, you know what merit he's going to have if because of him you're keeping Shabbat now, and and above that you're going to say Kaddish. So he's like, I understand, and and I'm like, you know, and I saw there was still you know a little bit of of kickback on there, and I'm like, listen. I'm like, what already you doing on, I, I, he wasn't working. So I'm like, what, you need to, you need to use your phone, you need to watch TV on Shabbat? Do it for your father. I said, do it for your father, at least for, for, for a year or whatever, as much as you can, 30 days, at least, you know, do something. At the end of the day, he said, fine, you got it. He said he's gonna keep Shabbat and he's gonna start. Now, I haven't heard from him since. I don't know, maybe he's an Al Tisrael, he's probably being a big tzaddik now, let's hope. I don't know what the, what the situation is, but we hope for the best. But, the idea is when you have people that, you know, say Kaddish and they don't keep Shabbat, I mean, good, it, at least they're doing something. But, like, what do you, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you have, you, there's a person that's on a diet. So, on one hand, they have a stock of celery, and on the other hand, they're eating cake. But they're eating celery and the cake together. I'm like, you know, it's, I guess it's good, you know, you know, if you eat enough celery, you know, but, but at the same point in time, you know, you're, you're not helping as much as you possibly could. So, she goes on and she says that, um, most of the, you know, and she says she, what she hangs around with, and she hangs around with only adulterers. She only sees the, the people that committed adultery. So the rabbi asked her, says, what about, let's say, a committed adultery, which means, uh, you know, Jewish to Jewish, everything in the, in the Jewish realm. So the rabbi says, well, I don't understand. What happens if somebody, you know, where you don't see people that lie with, uh, with non-Jews? So, because he said, you know, he says, we know that the, the, the Zohar, the Kabbalah speaks about that. What happens if you're, if you're someone, if a man is with a non-Jew, then this not, this Gentile woman is bound to this person in the next world like a dog. So, how do you explain what that means? You have the Arizal and you have the, you know, the Zohar gives the explanations. One interpretation is that you actually become reincarnated in a dog. Another interpretation is also is that, um, is that you come back as a, you know, come back as a Gentile. Um, which means is if someone has relations with a Gentile and doesn't do tshuva, comes back to this world as either a dog or a Gentile. And, um, so, the rabbi asked, I said, why don't, like, why don't you see these people, the people that are in this realm? So she said, I don't know, but it says it could be, it's possible that due to God's loving kindness, what he put people together in a certain sin. People that did a certain sin all hang out together, so as to reduce, you know, any more embarrassment, or I don't know what, what would be the, the actual uh, reason for that is. She says, but possibly, if let's say somebody did two big sins, then they could go to two different, they, they would be with two groups. And that's not a bonus. That's not like you go to the guard and be like, yeah, I have an all entrance visa, you know, <laughs> I belong here, I belong there. It's nothing to be proud about, and it's nothing to be there, but that could be our people that would be involved in both of those uh, groups. So, 
She goes on and she continues. So she says, after two years, um, uh, you know, there's uh, what the spirits do is that they also they hover. They don't they don't walk. It's it's more of a flying uh, type of thing. So she said after two years, she w- uh, she was hovering over the place of the vicious beasts. She was decreed that she has to go and hover over the seashore for seven consecutive years. After that seven years, she has to then go to two years over the cemetery in Baghdad, uh, the city where she was born in, and. Um, and she said that there is no greater suffering in the world than hovering over the graves of the dead. It's the the, the smell, the stink that the spirits can feel, that the spirit can sense is so. It's a, she said it's an indescribable suffering. And I'm not going to get into it, but she even saw her own psyche in that in that graveyard. And it's very interesting. But if anybody wants, you could go look into it. I don't want to get into it now. Um, you can look into the setup. The she goes on and she says. As for the remainder of the hundred years, they decree that she has to hover on the highest stratosphere, which is 40 years above the earth, and that's the distance. And she goes on, she says, when she goes and she's decreed to hover over the seashore or the cemetery or anything in the world, the, 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 the height that they hover is between two to three stories above ground. And she goes on, she says, it's not because they don't have the strength to go and fly anywhere or go get to anywhere, but she says, because they have the capability of flying from earth to heaven in 15 minutes, a quarter of an hour. That's how long it'll take them to fly from earth uh, to heaven. But being that they, uh, that they're decreed to hover in a certain, to a certain area, they are required there and they don't have permission to go any higher. She goes on furthermore and says that they fly in an upright position. Not like as if you're swimming or like you think Superman is, that you just point your fist <laughs> to wherever you want to go and that's where you go. They fly as if that they're, uh, as if that they're wa- walking. And she continues that they, when they fly over their own country, it gives, a, it gives them for some reason relief. Uh, but if the destroyers want to make the burden heavy, they make them fly, it, make them, make them go to a place that it is not where they're used to, some distant land. Don't think of it, okay, let's go, let's go to Hawaii, you know, we're gonna go hover in Hawaii. That, that's not gonna be any, they, they feel the, the best where they are, where they were, where they live. So, and uh, she goes on, she says that even though, there, there's always a certain area, there's like a border where they're, where they're, uh, you know, they were decreed to stay. In that border, they, they could go around that border, but they cannot leave that border. If they do leave that border, the, the, um, the destroyers, the mazikim, are able to beat them with even more things that they were described from beforehand, from, from, from the court. So, however, something very interesting, that within that border, they are able to, to run away from these destroyers. So, yeah, how, why and how, I, I don't know, but they are able to, uh, to do that. Then, uh, you know, Rabbi Hudafatai goes on and explains that, uh, oh, she, before we get into that, she also says that they don't have, they're not allowed to beat them any more than they're exactly as they, as they're prescribed by the court. And further, they, they can't prevent them from causing any mischief. If they want to cause any mischief to harming people or entering them or things like that, they cannot, uh, um, you know, uh, prevent them. These, these, uh, the, you know, the people that are the officers, the, these, uh, spirit, these, uh, destroyers. Rabbi Deftaya goes on and says that, you know, there's a general rule that you could tell if the spirit is, and under certain circumstances, if the spirit is a male or a female. And let's say a woman is possessed. So if she sees in her dream a man that's standing in front of her, or is being intimate with her, or um, not letting her do housework, not letting her be with her husband, then you know that spirit is a male. Because the spirit is inside, so everything that she does, that spirit also does, and it, it grosses that spirit out and doesn't want to do those things. So it prevents her from being, for example, with her husband. 
However, on the flip side, if you have a man who is, how do you know is possessed by a female spirit, is if in a dream he's having relations with a woman, or he, and he's ex- experiencing random, you know, uh, emissions. So that, that would mean that it would be a, a woman inside. And granted, you know, this is more of a men topic and more of a men thing that just because a man would have this type of situation doesn't mean that he's possessed. More likely than not, he is not guarding his eyes or he's not guarding his thoughts. That, that's why that's happening. But, the rabbi, Rabbi Hudaf continues and he explains that this is specifically where the spirits were adulterers. If the spirit were not adulterers, then these things do not apply. These, uh, these methods do, uh, do not apply to, uh, to them. So, the, the spirit Rosa goes on and she explains, she says, you know, that I would not have been compelled to speak to you if not for the, in, you know, the, the many blows that you gave me with those tikkunim, the, the, these, uh, uh, unifications that you did, uh, that you did on me. And she says also that if you do it sporadically, the spirits are not going to say anything to you. They're not going to talk to you. But rather, when you do it again and again and again, it becomes unbearable. That's when they're going to. That's when they're going to deal with you. But she said at the same time, you have to be very careful because if you annoy them or harm them, they could harm the person that they they are um, they are they are in, in whatever possessed that they, they possess them. So the rather is you have to go and engage them with words, especially if they're scholarly and explain to them. And that's why you see a lot of times we speak about that we know a lot about them. Why do we know a lot about them? Because that's the way to get them out. You have to go and speak to them. You have to, you know, find out what happened and, and, and how to uh, treat them appropriately. Then she goes on and she explains that if, let's say the, someone was possessed and the spirit that possessed this person was not accustomed to drinking alcohol or smoking cigarettes and that person smokes cigarettes or drinks alcohol, it's going to taste really bad because the spirit's not used to it and doesn't want it. So it would actually um, become bitter or, or disgusting. Now let's speak about what a spirit could see, what a spirit uh, you know has the capability of. So the she goes on and she explains, and she says not all spirits are able to see all the sins that people do. The generally, if they committed that sin, they could see that in anybody else, and not only they could see it in anybody else. They know all the details, all the scary little tiny details of that sin. If they have the same sin, they 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 they're able to see it to the extent that let's say it was adultery. They would know, or, or anything related to that thing, they would know if it was a single girl or a married woman, a widow or a divorce, if it was a Jew, a Gentile, how many times, if it was a male, if it was a female, with every detail on it. Furthermore, besides that, they could also notice, they could also, they could also tell the names. They're just looking at the one, the, the one person. They're able to tell the name of that person, the father's name, the adulteress or the adulterer's name, their father's name, the name of the city, the place where they did the sin, um, the hour, the day, the month of the year, whether she was a pure or, or menstruating, pregnant or not, alive or dead, they know all the tiny, tiny details. The scary thing you know, about this is that if a mere spirit who caused so many things has all these details, you know the embarrassment that we're going to have to deal with in the next world? That they're going to go over there, everybody's going to see exactly what you did. The bouchard, the embarrassment is unbearable. That is one of the worst things that, that happens in the next world, is the embarrassment that a person has to deal with and go through during those times. So, uh, unless, of course, they do tshuva. If you do tshuva, you study Torah, you go closer, closer to God through prayer, you refrain from all the sin, then you could become, and this she explains, you become completely a new being. Completely a new person, and, and healed completely. Of course, if the tshuva is complete, 100%, you, it, it's as if that sin never existed. The power of tshuva should never be underestimated. 
she goes on and she explains that furthermore, she says if let's say she looks at a person and she sees that this person was possess- is possessed by a spirit, they know also all the details of the possession. How long has it been since this spirit died? Was it a male or a female? Uh, the name of its name, the name of its town, the name of its father and mother. How many years has it been in this person? The reason that it entered this person. The sin for that they became a spirit. The spirit's character is a gentle. It's a, what, every single tiny detail. So the rabbi, you know, had an idea to see if the spirit was telling the truth. The, um, a while before that, there was, um, there, was a, there was a person that came over to him. And he said he had a, this person uh, told over the rabbi uh, about a certain dream that he had. And he said that um, he had an opportunity to do a great, great mitzvah. It doesn't specify what the mitzvah was. And then he had a dream after that. And the dream was that they told him from, you know, from the heavenly realm that for the last 14 years he was possessed by a spirit and that he didn't know. And that spirit was, in, was near his right thigh. But the spirit couldn't do any harm to him because he occupied himself with Torah and good deeds. And because of that, the spirit couldn't do anything. And then he did this great mitzvah that the spirit couldn't deal with it anymore and couldn't, and it, and it left him. So the, the rabbi said, you know, if this spirit is really changing the truth, she'll be able to see everything about this guy. So he calls this guy in to, to the spirit, where, you know, to the possession place. And the second that this spirit, who was possessing the 17 year old girl, saw this man, she immediately told him everything exactly what they said in the dream. You had this for 14 years, and this is where it dealt. She knew everything about it. So, she goes on, and she says, and she continues, which means, by the way, that she was obviously saying the truth. Um, when, when she goes on, when a spirit enters a person, it says it's usually because of a sin. And the officers in charge, they would even permit them to go in. And we said before that they don't have to give, you know, they, they, don't, they can't prevent it, but here they could actually permit them to go inside to that person and, and possess that person. However, when they, since they go in with permission, they go in without any pain. They just sneak right in. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But when they leave, when they get departed, when they get exercised, it leaves with tremendous pain. On the flip side, she goes on and she says, if they enter without permission, which means there's somebody that didn't commit any sin, and it enters in. And now I'm unclear about this, like why and how should that be? But again, everything is for a reason, for a purpose. I'm just, I'm not sure on the details on why a person should get possessed if they didn't do any sin. So this I'm, I'm unclear. But she goes on, she says, if it enters without any sin, without any reason, and there really shouldn't be entering, then it caused tremendous difficulty and pain to go inside. As she says, as she, as she had to do to this 17 year old girl, which means the 17 year old didn't do anything wrong, she actually entered like a, like a, you know, like a, I guess like a thief trying to break in. However, when she leaves, it's not going to be any painful, and not pain, because she went in with pain. So, she goes on, and she says, you know, there are spirits that have wings with which to fly, but most do not have wings. And she says, every Saturday night, we, they release the chains that they're bound after Shabbat, and they're given permission to wander and fly for three hours. After three hours, they have to return to the authority in charge of it. She goes on and says, that's why Saturday night, Motei Shabbat, that's why there's a lot of times that there's, there's possessions that happen on Motei Shabbat because of that. And the spirit, the story that we have over here also happened on Saturday night. This also happened particularly Saturday night. So, the, she, she says that some spirits, they, when they, when they enter, they don't, uh, they don't cause a person harm. They're only after they get used to the area, they get comfortable about it. You know, you can turn on the heat. Turn on the heat, please. Boy. Oh. So, um, they, they, um, they go and after they, after they get comfortable, then they could start making a person, uh, suffer. The rabbi then asked them, he said, what's the difference between day and night in, in the next world? So she, she goes on, she says the night shines as bright as day. However, there's a difference in the color between the night and the day. The night is a deep blue, while the day is white. 
And she goes on, she says the measurement of ours is the same in this world, no different. Which means is there's a lot of questions that people often ask, like how does it work 12 months in Gehenom, it's a next world, it should be no time and space, it's a different, it's a different uh, you know, thing. So it's actually something very interesting that we learn from here, is that there is time in the next world, at least in a certain aspect of it. Now this is my understanding of it. I may be incorrect in this, but this is how I understand it from my from my limited knowledge on these uh, topics. Is this is how I understand it? The um, you know what is the whole purpose of Mashiach? We did we did like one or two classes on Mashiach, right? So um, we <laughs> so we the the purpose of Mashiach is it's sort of a um, a transition stage. You have this world, and then you have Olam Abba. But the problem is you can't transition from one to the next. So there, the transition period is the Mashiach state. So maybe, possibly, and this is my own thoughts on it, and I may be incorrect again, is that Gehenom, all that in between, Kafakela, this in be, maybe we could say that it's an in between stage between here and the next world. We know that there's even in, you know, that, for example, Gehenom, Gan Ed, you know, Gan Eden, there's levels, there's different levels to it, and you have a similar body, and it speaks about certain clothes, uh, in Kabbalah, so there is a physical aspect to it, per se. What is it in exactly, you know, that, that I, that I can't say. So, the, the rabbi goes and he says that, and that's why, by the way, we speak about things like fire, and you speak about things like carrying the wood, and all these things. So there is, maybe it's that, that we could say that it's that in-between, uh, stage. So, the, um, the rabbi goes on and, and um, he was actually here. I was actually able to speak also to one of the officers in charge of the destroyers of this of this uh, of this person. So of the spirit. So not the actual spirit, but now one of the mazikim. And uh, we'll speak more about the mazikim next time we do this topic. We'll give that's we're going to focus a lot about that uh, that details. So the rabbi asks him. He says uh, to these to these, uh, to these, uh, to these officers. He says, uh, "Do you guys each have your own wife?" So he says, no. This, the officer said, we have very, the, by officer I mean the destroyers. He says, we have very few females. About one to every eight males. And he goes and says, most men don't ever marry. But at the same point in time, they don't have any lust for women. They, the only crave, they only desire, the pursue the souls of human beings. And to beat them and to get like a mission. And that's, that's all they care about. And furthermore, they, they don't have any incest prohibition. That can be with the, you know, the mother. There's no, there's no connection to the children that are born. He says that, these are not angels. So what, I don't... We'll, we'll speak about it ne- next week. Well, this is just giving you a... Tip, you're gonna, I, I know there's a lot of questions that come up. Next time we speak about this topic, we'll probably answer a lot of it. We're gonna, that's what we're focusing on. So the um, he says that's why a few women are good enough for us because, you know, one person... You know, it's not, this is not something that they do. And he says even more, says if let's say, you know, they, they have someone has a child in that, in that realm, the children... As, as soon as they're born, they don't have a connection to the parents. They fly away looking for a mission. They're not like, oh, okay, baby, you know, like, and put them in a little demon crib, you know, and they have a little <laughs> bunch of fire turning around. It's not, not none of that. So they they um, they go and they fly away to try to get some sort of an uh, assignment. The spirit Rosa goes and, and she finishes off and she says, you know. And this is, by the way, this is a continuation. This is not a period over. This is not like one conversation. This is, this is, you know, exorcism. It takes it's, it's tremendous amount of time that the rabbi put into this. So. At the end, I want to. I want to just being that it's late, we're going to finish with this with this idea. The the Rose, you know, Rosa said that at the end, she says, you know, she doesn't care about the court anymore, and uh, she says, um, she says, I don't have to go back there until the next hundred years. And she goes on because the rabbi was trying to get her to leave the girl, to, to leave the girl. And the, the spirit says, I'm not leaving the girl. I'm not. I'm not leaving the girl. And she says, except on her wedding night and the time that she's with her with her husband. 
So, and they said also the heavenly court excommunicator had her, but this, the spirit was not even ashamed to tell, to say that. And the rabbi continued the unifications on, on the tikkunim on her until he brings down the date, the 21st of Adal, where she and her mother, they moved to, um, they moved to, to, uh, to a different place where she later got married. And he followed, the rabbi followed up and he heard from the people that when she got married, the spirit completely, uh, left her. So we see over here, um, and that was the end of that, uh, you know, of that uh, particular story. So we see over here the importance of, uh, of of thinking about sins that happen. Don't underestimate sins. Don't underestimate the power of tshuva. These things have to be have to be dealt with and have to be. You don't want to get into the next world and be like, okay, you know, um, I forgot about this. I forgot about this. Don't wait for Yom Kippur to do tshuva. You did something wrong. We all, we all are human. We all fall. You get up right then and there. You do tshuva to the best of your ability, and you go on. And I strongly recommend if somebody wants to have a, you know, a good uh, one of the best tshuva books. You read a tshuva, uh, it's they have it in English. It's called Shari Tshuva, the Gate of Repentance. Shari Tshuva. You read, go into English. They have an English version of it. It's called the Gate of Repentance. They have many different uh, versions of it. I forgot who's the publisher on it. Um, and but actually, when you read these books, it's not like okay, you actually have to put these things into practice. Some things are going to be more easier than others. Um, in, in the respect of tikkunim and fasting, speak to your local Orthodox rabbi. Majority of them will say, "Don't uh, don't do that." Um, but uh, you know, unless you're on a very 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 high level. So, but the tshuva nonetheless should be done, and it should be taken into extreme extreme importance. The um, the one of the most important things that we spoke about, and, and you realize the underlying theme over here is the the sin of adultery. Now. Um, I've been asked a few times to give a class on adultery, and I, I've given the class before, never on camera, um, and I don't know, I don't feel, I don't know, I, I don't feel like I sh- that's, that's an appropriate class, so I'm not, I'm not looking to give it, but this is the way that I'm sort of sneaking it in. Um, the, and, and this is a very, you know, it, People think, okay, it's not such a big problem. It, what's the big deal? Not an adultery. I'm talking about about the following thing. I'm going to say, um, it, which which I hold very much as a big problem, where people have couple friends. Couple friends is um, where you have two married people and two other married people, which are friends, which is not a problem. Not a problem, of course. Be friendly, have friends. It's not a problem, but. Where I'm talking about, they go to vacation together, they do everything, like very, very close. That is very, very unhealthy. That is very, and I, you know, spoken people be like, well, when me and my husband go out, we're kind of bored, so we, you know, you know, we, we, we got, and so I go, I go, wait, relax one second. So, um, <laughs> so I go, and I said, you have more problems. If you cannot deal, if you cannot go out with your husband and have a good time with just your husband, you have more problems than going and inviting couples out, with, you know, to go with you to go with that. Now, again, that's not a problem. You want to go out to dinner one time with a friend by all means. But where it becomes a very big problem is where you have one woman is texting her, you know, the the other, you know, her friend's husband. Be like, hey, I want to buy, uh, you know, my husband a gift. Well, since he's your friend, I want to know what should I get him. Like that is not your place to be. You are not allowed to do that. That is a very big problem, and it leads to very serious problems. I hear about these problems. I'm not going to go into stories uh, uh, about these things, but this is something very serious and it should be taken appropriately. Yeah, you think it's all fun and games. What do you think? That men don't have temptation just because they're married and women don't have temptation if someone's giving them more attention or something's doing that? This is a very, very serious problem. I think it's very serious nowadays and it should be taken appropriately. You're married. You're supposed to spend time with your husband. You're going on vacation. That The point of vacation is to reconnect with your husband. 
That is one of the main points that you should be going on vacation. Not you know, having a good time with your husband. Now, granted, is it terrible if you want to go and there's a whole people going to Shabbat? I'm not saying, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about those. I think you get the idea of where I'm talking about. Where about certain places, people that, uh, they're just too close for comfort. And it's gets, and, and it's, and it's really, you know, it, it's, it's really problematic. I don't think we have to go into details. I think, uh, you know, everyone can understand on their own level what I'm referring to and, and how important it is that your best friend should be your spouse. And that's it. You don't need more friends in that, in that aspect, especially of the opposite gender. Of the same gender, Hazakabul has as much friends as you want. But make sure that your spouse gets the most attention that they, you know, that they need because they should be your best friend. Not your, you know, this other is my, you know, this is my BFF, you know? And together, they ging up on the, the you know it's like it, the stuff that goes up there it's 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 terrible i wanted to put that a little bit inside over there okay any questions yeah. we you know because i got i have so i had people that requested that they want the questions on because sometimes they have their own questions so they want i know i get both of them so i, I think that's a good idea because you know it's interesting because last time i said a class that we shouldn't maybe we shouldn't uh, put the questions anymore so, which people requested me, but then at the same time, people also emailed me about, but we like the questions also, but maybe not in the middle, at the end, so we get to understand it. So, if you have any questions you want off the camera, by no, by all means, we'll do that afterwards, but anybody who has a questions that they don't mind the camera to be on. Yeah, um, you said that uh, you would explain, like, um, like the whole chopping the wood and, and bringing it How is it physical? The yeah. same idea with time, with, with the time. So, you see that there is time in the next, in the next world, so there is some sort of physical aspect of it, because time only exists where there is, uh, what is it, space and matter? Uh, you know, yeah. I don't know, I don't, I'm not a physicist, but, you know, okay. equals MC squared. Bam, yeah. And then, then you said that, like, she was only with adulterers, right? She, her, the section that this spirit was in was only with adulterers. So there were 14-year-old adulterers? Has not make sense. Maybe they did. Adulter, she, like, you know. She, she was, was married, married and she was with another man. Like, like, with him, not like talking to him. No, no, no. Like with him. They were yeah. Not high fiving. <laughs> yeah. I'm just confused. No, I'm just want to make it very clear. So, so is well, it, of course it's. You're not. So you have to show me Nagia is also for married people that they can't. Uh, um, if you're you high fiving the opposite sex, are you creating? Are you committing adultery? You're not committing adultery, but it's you should refrain from doing that. Also, so is it worse to be what's Is it is it worse to be with the non-Jew or a Jew? I'm very confused. Ah, the famous question that I have all the pervert men ask me. Well, what's it better to be with a woman or to be with them? That. I asked me this question. I I generally don't answer that, and uh, the, one of the reasons is is that it's like saying, "How would you rather die with a nine inch knife or a fourteen inch knife?" Well, you know, what do you mean like, the nine inch knife? Well, it depends. Then you have to slice more often. Well. It, they're, they're both bad. Again, you want to split here as you could go between the difference between Kabbalah and and, and Halakha. What is different? Both of them are very bad and should be stayed very far away from it. That That's the only answer that you're going to get from uh, from anybody who is you know of of any Torah knowledge. They're both terrible. How would she have done tshuva for yeah. being an adulteress? So the, she would have to. So that's a very very good question. She would have to. The question is for the people on the uh, you know on the cyber world. Um, how could somebody do tshuva for adultery? That is something that they do have to speak to a local Orthodox rabbi for. The, you know, depending on the situation, there's a lot of variance that has to come into play. Um, and the besides, she has to do the basic stuff: regret it, confess it, and make sure never to do it again. And that's not enough, by the way, to say like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do it again and but there is a lot more that she needs to 
the details I don't want to get into. They have to speak to a local Orthodox rabbi because there's a lot of factors that have to come into play. Now, does she have to tell her husband? How is she supposed to tell her husband? There's a lot of factors that come into play. Um, so that is something that they have to speak to the local Orthodox uh, rabbi. So what? then she could go back to her husband once she does Shuba, or she has to divorce him and leave him. Yeah, speak to your local Orthodox rabbi okay. is what I would say. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying that. The, well, it, she mo- would yeah. Have to go to her rabbi? She would have to speak to the rabbi, and they would say they are not. She is not allowed to be with her husband anymore. That's it. She lost it. Like forever. Oh, she lost. So then she not not even her husband and not her not the person that she committed adultery with. She she can't now leave her husband and marry the adulterer. She has to start fresh, even if she has like kids, kids with a guy. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. What if what if like she 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 has relations with her husband and has a kid? Is that kid pure? The kid. So right. So that she did it before or after. No. No, she's talking about before, obviously. Oh. Right. So, um, is the you know is the kid considered a mamzel? Is what you're asking? Then no, unless she had a kid from the adulterer's you know if it was adulterer's no, unit. If it was with her husband. So again, what is the, you, there's nothing that you're that you're going to tell the kid to do. You're not going to dunk him in the mikvah every no, extra day for purifying him. Because you said that like we don't have to really worry about that kind of stuff now. Like everyone's somehow pure. It comes up being born pure. So I'm, that is something completely. You're talking oh. about that. You're talking about somebody who. How do you know? If th- this is a question. That gets asked a lot for Balchuvas that they say, let's say their parents weren't religious. How do they know that the mother had them while they were they were nida? Right. And they, that that was where I gave that yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. Not, and this is completely this is different. different. Yeah, like completely know, different. Can't compare. Right. And what's the name of the book again? Minchat or I don't remember if it's Minchat Yehuda. Minchat Yehuda. If so, if a woman doesn't go to a mikvah then her husband's not allowed to be with her. And you could, and again, you I could... Know, but our parents, my mom... Right, so yeah, so exactly, so that's what we're referring... Take it back from no, life. no, that's, yeah. Any other questions? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, so when you do tshuva, you still get punished for... No, if you do complete tshuva... Not at all, like... Real good tshuva. If you again. do complete tshuva, like full-on tshuva from ahava, from love, the highest level of tshuva, nothing. Never, never happened. Not only that, well, it could even turn into a, a merit. Okay. Not, but again, I gotta be clear. Don't go and be like, okay, I'm gonna do this in, so I'll make it and turn it into merits. And then I'll do it with this, I'll and I'll, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, what if you didn't know um, that it's a sin, and you didn't? Didn't know adultery is a sin? No. Oh, you're talking about something else. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like now I think people know. Um, um, you, that's a, that's still a sin bishogeg, and you still have to do tshuva on, on, on shogeg so, by accident. What if you don't remember? Like, what, what does this do? <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Like, how many years have I been living? What happens? What happens to you if somebody comes into the hospital and says, "I don't remember if I took poison"? What do you do usually? Oh, that? So you different. could actually test them, right? So that is different. No, but so, I something. You get, whatever it is. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, before. Like, Roshana, you have all this because so I heard something. I don't remember oh. the source. No, I'm okay. We're almost finished said, over here. Wait, how far back does God expect you to go on, like, granting your sins? On the Sufi or not? Meaning, like, you can you know, you could have done so many things. I like that, but... don't remember, then you cannot repent. But don't push things off and be like, okay, I'll eventually forget yeah, about yeah, this. Right yeah, like, the, the idea behind tshuva is that you should do tshuva right away. If you sin, mess up, get up, and do tshuva. This way, you, you keep a clean but slate. If you weren't aware of so then that's something that, that the tshuva is existed, right? So that so I guess you could use that, right? You don't know, right? So if you don't know of all the things they did, but you know the basic stuff, like 
the basic stuff that you could do chuba on. I'm probably still doing things wrong that I don't even know about. That's yeah, so why you come to these classes. So yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we'll get the yeah. So. If it, Two more questions. One, you were saying that thousands of people hear your voice. <laughs> you were saying that the the, the, the souls of the people who were suffering, um, they were st- they still had some kind of prayer. Yes. Oh, excellent question. Excellent question. Question. Excellent. I said question. Excellent ten times. Okay. <laughs> the because um, I did want to speak about that. So the question is, do they have free will? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who? <laughs> okay. I don't know. So, um, the, you were saying that so, if they go out of the city... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they do... So it yeah. seems... So the question is, is like, how, how does all these things work? Can they come in that... It seems that there is some sort of... Again, they are restricted in what they do. They are required to be in a certain area. But at the same point in time, you see rabbis talking to them as if, like, you know, can you come out? Let's work on something. Let's do it. So there seems to be some element of free will. But I can't say that for sure because I can only say based on what information that I have. And based on that, the real answer is really I don't know. But it seems like it. It seems like they might have some sort of level on that. Some sort of level. Because you see that if she was able to take a needle out, that's free will. That's that's uh, so. It seems like that. Any other? Yes, go ahead. Um, these people will they ever have a place in Olam Abba? If after they do tshuva, yeah. After no, they no, do no, the tikkunim, after they, they do tikkunim, as long yeah. So, so that, that woman a hundred years and then she could no, then she, she got to deal with this is this is not even we didn't speak about Ganom yet. Okay. Um, so this is so now the the question is that the, the once we're in Ganom, do they ever get out? Of yes, there, peop, most people do. The people that do it, we didn't do it, we never did a class on Gehenom, um, might do it one day, not, we're gonna hold off a little bit, I think it gave a lot of, uh, scariness now, give, no, no, you know, so, 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 but, uh, um, I, I do wanna do a class on it, I, I haven't decided when I'm going to do it, um, if anybody wants to learn upon it, you go to Rashid Chochmah, speaks about, but again, it's only in Hebrew, or the, so, no problem, and, but, but there is different levels, and some people, if they ever leave, if they don't ever leave, so it's a different class in itself. You finished questions? Yeah. Okay, questions. Is Shabbat one of the, the things that you could come back for? Define that question. Is Shabbat one of the things that you could come back for as a reincarnation to fix Shabbat? No, like this this thing, whatever. To get rid of stuff. Yeah. To, get, to become a spirit, you mean? Um, so the, the ones, so I can only tell you only based on what the stories are, and the majority of them oh, is, adultery. is adultery. You have some maybe like those wow, suicide or things like that. that bad. Uh, yeah. one on suicide. I'm not that I'm going to say. Well, Shabbat is very bad. Um, and um, yeah, that's cut, right? Well, those things are cut. Those things get cut off. Those things that you get cut off from God because right. So no, but then you got you sewed back on. You sewed got you got, you got to come back on. You got come. No, you're back on. You're back on. So um, now, well, now, now you. This is your. You've changed. Before you were not religious. Now you're not. You're on the you're on the religious path. So of course, what do you you know? So that doesn't mean that you're cut off forever and you're done. But if you do chuba, so that's what your process is, that you're doing it right now. Any other questions? Um, can you pray for these people? Like, yes. Does, does, does prayers help? Anything help. You could do zuchuyot for them also. You could do merits for them. You could learn classes for them. Will you, for these souls. But like, you know. No, like spirits even. Like that possess you somebody else. You learn mishnayot. Like, the merit of the spirits that are suffering, like stuff like that. Yeah, don't say that out loud because people think you're a witch. Oh. And the merit, as you cook in the merit of all the spirits. But you don't, but you, if let's say, if let's say, if let's say you have a family member that passed away, whatever it is, you could always do anything for their, for their, for their soul to bring them higher. Say, you're learning, you're doing this. You, it's very hard for you to dress modest and you're dressing modest so you're doing that. You could even say that for any mitzvah you do, any toa that you do, anything they do, you could do for it. 
as long as you want. For, they could, so over a year? A uh, hundred years. That's a punishment. Doesn't matter, but they could go still go higher. You're sending them pack. You're able to send packages to your deceased relatives, even 50 years later. Really? And they still like get it? Yeah, they still get it. And we don't use snail mail that we have over here. It goes over there. There's no two day free delivery. Not in the judging process. They're like they get judged every single year. Really? Every single year they get judged. Says the Rosh Hashanah, it says that God has the book of the living and the book of the dead open in front of him. Every year you get judged. Now the question is, I'll explain. Ah, that's right, that's right. How about your horses? So, um, the, the, what do you get judged on? You get judged on, on what your residual was in this world. So let's say, for example, somebody opened up a business in this world, and it was an unclean business, an unpure business, a business of very ill repute. And every time that this business continues going, it's all thanks to who? Thanks to, um, you know, this guy who opened up this business. So every time someone does a sin because of him, he gets punished for that. Oh my God. Yeah. And, but it goes on the flip side. Let's say you open a Shiva, you give donations, somebody's giving you that. You make somebody religious. Listen to this. You make somebody religious by whatever it is. You bring him to a class or her to a class and she becomes more religious. Think, listen to how great it is. So now, she's now religious or he's now religious now, so they're gonna marry a religious person. Now they're gonna have children that are religious. The children are gonna be learning to how they're gonna go to Shiva. They're gonna do a ton of mitzvot. All, who is it thanks to? It was thanks to you. You helped that person become religious. So now, well, you got to your children, yeah. So now you go, and every single year, after you pass away, it's been 120 years, after 120, every single year, now you have this, this, you know, huge nation, cause that came out from all the work that you did that made them religious, is all thanks to you. So you get all that reward as well. Everything good that you do, the same way it goes for your children also, you bring the children in the right path, your children, you, you know, brings merit to the parents. If the parents didn't bring the children up in the right way, then they bring them down. Uh, so every year the person gets judged depending, think of it as the butterfly effect. Doing good things. That's what I was thinking. Even though my, my parents are not, you know, they're still here. Right. They still get, like, the merit. It would still, it would still, and, and it, and it, so there, there is a little caveat into that. If the kids brought, if the parents brought them up, uh, so sometimes I'll give you an example. Sometimes you have a parent that is a very righteous parent. But the kid, unfortunately, goes off and becomes a, a little bit of a rotten apple. And this, it, it, but it's not really due to the parent's fault because the parent really tried so hard. Private tutor is everything. It's just nothing helped. That parent doesn't get punished for that child. Because as long as you did everything in your power, and again, only God knows, but you did everything in your power to do, and yet the kid still went off, you're not held responsible for that. There's different proofs of it from Moshe, uh, you know, and Shmuel, when, he, when they call him up, uh, um, uh, it, you know, they're, they're very interesting things, but it's in a different uh, class in its entirety. However, on the flip side of that as well, let's say you have a completely irreligious parent, so much so that they hate the Judaism, they hate everything, and they try to prevent everything from happening, so much so, and the kid just happened to become religious, so what are the parents going to get reward for? The kid, they, they didn't do it, they wanted to go against it. So as long as they had some sort of effect, even if it's minor, even if it's a minor effect, they were just okay. But God knows. You don't have to know. Think of it that you do and you're giving them good. That's how you should think of it. Yeah, of course. Well, not, it's not like, I love you, but I hate you. I love you, but I hate you. It's, there's, there's different, there's different, like, uh, you know. You're getting punished for this, but you're getting rewarded for that. Yeah. Like, can't, cancel they don't cancel each other out. Different, different categories. So what, different bank accounts. What is a punishment? No, well, depending on what the situation is, but possibly. It is, it is. But I, I hope that this should give you a little bit of an idea, a little bit of an inkling of an idea, opening your eyes a little bit. I'm scared, bro. I'm scared. Uh, don't be scared, just do good. Just start, just start. No, no, this is how it starts. My fear has to come alive. All right, then, <laughs> I have one more question. Go on. Sorry, um, what if, like, like, let's say your grandfather or whatever did a sin, 
and he keeps getting punished for it, right? Yeah. Can you somehow, as a grandchild, like, like fix that? Up yeah. For him or Doing for him, you know, saying kaddish, giving charity, and that merit does helps a lot. Saying mishnayot for that's all helps a lot. Okay. You are able to. Mm-hmm. No more questions. No more questions for on camera. Going once, going twice. Hazaku baruch. So this is not bad, even though it's still on camera. But the questions at the end is like a whole lecture in itself. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.